The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Box Score Breakdown for Monday, December 21st, 2020. I hesitate sometimes because, of course, I'm in Sydney where it's 4.50 in the afternoon of Tuesday the 22nd, um, only a few hours away from the start of the basketball season. But, of course, uh, when you're listening to this, it's probably literally only a few hours away for you too. Uh, that is going to be so exciting. I am, of course, the host of the Box Score Breakdown. I am sometimes joined by my co-host, Scotty the Harlander Harland. Uh, He is off today. So it's me solo in the chair, except I'm not really solo because I've got a wonderful guest with me. Uh, Before I introduce him, remember, you can find me, Mr. Jolly of Sydney, one word on Twitter. Come and look me up and uh, get involved with the fun over there. Without further ado, our guest today is Mr. Ethan Noroff. He has spent nearly a decade as a Roto World NBA fantasy analyst and three years as an assistant NBA editor for the Bleacher Report. Uh, since then, Ethan has transitioned into education, where he's a high school administrator, and I'm sure he probably shoots a few hoops with those high school uh, students too. Uh, he's also the lead host of the Hoop Ball Lakers podcast. Well, there's a few Celtics fan friends of mine booing in the background. Ethan! Uh, thank you. What a great introduction. I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, as somebody who went to school in Celtic territory, I am certainly no stranger to those boos. <laughs> so you you actually you went to university in Boston? Or what do you yeah, mean by Celtic so territory? Just, so just outside of Boston in a uh, town called Amherst, about two hours outside of Boston, but right in the heart of New England. So my first year in university was actually the year the Celtics beat the Lakers in the title or for the title, I should say, so I didn't hear the end of it. Of course, those following two years, it was a much different story with the Lakers winning both. Yeah, there you go. Was that one of the seasons where um, Courtney Lee missed the tip uh, against the Lakers for the Magic? Is that one of the seasons? Oh, oh gosh. No, no. That was. I think that was just before that. God, that was a long time ago. It could have been. We're talking about a decade ago. I'm lucky if I remember what I had for dinner these days. <laughs> you remember that play, right? Stan Van Gundy draws up oh, a beautiful yeah. play, and uh, oh, Courtney, yeah. there's a there's a block on to- there's a screen on Toby, and Courtney Lee goes to the rim and misses that shot. My friend and I were watching in Korea in a, our university office, and my friend absolutely hates the Lakers, and he smashed my computer chair into about five pieces out of pure rage. <laughs> J- J- Always remember. Jameer Nelson was a starting point guard of that Magic team. That's right. Yeah, it was. A, they, they had a really good team, exciting team to watch. But I do digress. Uh, so let's jump into the topic, which is fantasy basketball, of course. And I'll just preview what we're going to be doing with Ethan. We're going to be looking at a couple of drafts that I've done and that he's done and talking about strengths and weaknesses and also looking at what you might do to fix drafts once the season starts, the parts that you're not happy with. Uh, so we'll, we'll look into that post-draft strategy stuff. Then we're going to look at some standout names. Ethan's thrown a few favorites uh, at me, including Lamelo, Christian Wood, who we talked about yesterday. We'll talk about him some more, SGA and Jar amongst his. And then I'm going to hit on some more of those top 30 guys in the preseason, including Lonzo, Zion, Josh Richardson. We'll look at Mal Brognan, um, Jonas Valanciunas, Brandon Ingram. Uh, deep dive into those guys and, th- and look at what we might expect from them this season, what we can believe to continue. 
what might change and when it will change. And we'll also talk a little bit about the first games of the season, which will be on probably the same day that you're listening to this on Tuesday the 22nd and have a look at the first week. Before we do that, we need to talk about the fantasy pass. Here's the thing. Hoopball is a great website. We all love the content and we love that it exists. Uh, I've been uh, over on the Discord chat getting advice about some of my drafts and my teams, asking about trades, and that's part of the stuff you can get with the Fantasy Pass. Uh, it's a great website. We love that content. But if you get the Fantasy Pass for $4.99 a month, it helps us keep the lights on. It's also the best deal in fantasy. Not just the draft the draft guide. You also get the Brewski 150. But more importantly, because the season's going on, you get the DFS Pass and the all in-season fantasy tools. That is absolutely nuts. For just $4.99, all of that stuff, cook yourself dinner tonight inside instead of um, ordering delivery, and you can afford the Fantasy Pass for half a year. So please do check it out. Head to hoop-ball.com and click on the Fantasy Pass ad just below the main media wall. Knock yourself out with that, uh, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so let's jump into it. The first topic we're going to talk about uh Drafts. I think probably guest goes first. Uh, tell us about a draft you want to talk about. Maybe one of your most recent ones. Do you want to read out the names to us and tell you what you what you liked and didn't like, and what sort of trends you saw in that? Sure. Yeah. So I'll just go through the whole roster. I had a draft this evening uh, with the uh, old high school buddies. So sort of a dynasty league in the sense that it's been around for a while. I'm not a keeper. It's a straight redraft league. I had the ninth pick, so kind of knew that I was going to be in a weird spot going in. It's an eight-cat league, so I was feeling pretty confident that if LeBron was going to be on the board, I knew that that's where I was going to go. Uh, fortunately, he was there, so I was able to snag him at nine. And after that, it got really interesting because that's when I took John Morant in the second round and Brandon Ingram in the third round shortly thereafter. So it got interesting really early in this draft, and there were some, uh, some reaches for some guys who you know different people wanted, including myself. But I think one of the more staggering uh, pieces – here for me was that Kyrie Irving fell to the fourth round and I feel like I didn't have a choice but to take him in that spot so wound up going sort of uh, guard heavy early which compromised the bigs a little bit so the big situation is you know Miles Turner, Kevin Love, uh, Montrez Harrell. I think my bench needs some work uh, you know kind of got got sort of the dregs of the draft at the bottom there guys like uh, PJ Tucker, Aaron Baines, uh, some upside guys and DeAnthony Melton and uh, DeAndre Hunter as well. It is a 12-team league guy that I'm uh, sort of intrigued by, I don't know if excited about is probably too strong of a word, but intrigued by is Dylan Brooks, uh, especially with Jaron Jackson Jr. missing some time to begin the season in Memphis. Feels like it's going to be the John Brooks show a little bit, so definitely snagged him late as well. And I was really pleased to uh, get Robert Covington as a guy who can contribute in those defensive categories sort of midway through. So it's definitely an interesting team. Uh, also has Killian Hayes on there, the uh, new starting point guard for the Detroit Pistons. So have at me, man. What do, what do you think? Where, 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 where am I taking this team to? Interesting. Um, getting Jar and Kyrie, that is pretty amazing. I would have, if you'd told me the team without the rounds, I would have thought it was the other way around that you got Kyrie right. and then right. Jar. You, you must have been ecstatic because you, you reached to get Jar and then Kyrie was still there in the fourth round. Yeah. And I think that, you know, obviously we all sort of are, uh, victims of for lack of a better way to say it recency bias at times right because we didn't really see Kyrie play last year we don't know what the Nets are going to be like but I mean Kyrie Irving is still Kyrie Irving whether he's burning sage or burning buckets on the court right I mean he's still going to be out there doing his thing health is obviously the biggest question mark with him after he's missed so much time over the last couple of years but 
if you tell me that Kyrie Irving is going to play even 60 out of those 72 games, given what he can do and sort of his elite percentages, right, not only from the from the free throw line but also from the field, he's a three-point shooter. You know he's going to get buckets. You know he's going to help in the assist category. And I really think that Kyrie playing under Steve Nash is going to be a, a really good thing for his 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 career trajectory and development going forward. So now it's my turn to talk about my draft. And I can tell you a bit nervous talking about this uh, out loud, even though projections tool that I'm using says I did well, because I think I made a bit of a mistake. So I had the ninth pick in this draft in Dan's league and uh, the 11th pick, sorry. God, that I was saying ninth because I got Trey Young at 11. That's pretty good, isn't it? I certainly like that. I mean, Trey is a guy who went just the pick before I took LeBron in the draft that I just referenced. So, you know, all all signs are pointing to him having a, a monster year, especially with the upgrades that Atlanta put around him. So if this is going to be the year for him, obviously he's certainly got the, the tools like he's never had in terms of on-court talent to play with. And then I, I paired him with uh, Wing because we know there's a bit of a dearth of small forwards. I got Paul George in the second round uh, with the uh, 14th pick. Yeah, I, I think PG is a guy who a lot of people are not sleeping on, right? That's too tough of a term or too strong of a term, but I think – you know, people remember what they saw in the bubble, and he wasn't exactly impressive, although nobody on, the, on that Clippers team really was when it came down the stretch and time to show up. But I think Paul George is a guy who could remind people why not only he signed the extension, but why the Clippers gave up all those picks for him, why he's viewed as an MVP candidate in the right season this year. So I, I like that pick, especially given what you said. Small forward, power forward, that, that wing position, it always goes very quickly in fantasy basketball drafts. Like the top 10 names or so come off the board and you kind of sit there and go, whoa, what happened here? And now this is where things get a bit spicy and interesting. And my, my partner that I, that I share this league with in America, I'm very happy with me because uh, at the end of the third round, pick 11, instead of taking Sabonis, I took Christian Wood and followed that up with LaMarcus Aldridge two picks later. So end of the third, start of the fourth, Christian Wood and LaMarcus Aldridge, and I passed both times on Sabonis and Jonas Valanciunas. So I like, I, I mean, I don't mind the, the pass originally, right? Because Christian Wood is a guy who I would draft as early as the third round. I actually had him sort of in my sights for this particular team. It didn't work out, and that's why I wound up going in a different direction because he was taken. But I actually like that pick given the alternatives on the board. I'm not a huge LaMarcus Aldridge guy. I sort of – maybe it's the bias because after he spurned the Lakers – no, just kidding. But I just don't think – you know, he's never been the sexy pick in fantasy basketball for me, right? And he's steady, that's for sure. I'm not I'm not quite sure what the Spurs are going to look like this year. I think that's my, my biggest question mark when it comes to San Antonio. So I don't think it's a mistake necessarily to pass, you know, Valanciunas uh, over for him. Uh, I do think there is a lot of intrigue with DeMontis Sabonis, but you know, kind of like we were talking about just before we started taping this off air, I think there are still some questions when it comes to that Sabonis-Turner pairing in, in, for the Pacers. So I, I certainly can see the logic behind those decisions, although I probably would have taken Sabonis instead of Aldridge there. It's interesting, isn't it? Like beauty is in the eye of the beholder sometimes, and, and risk is in the eye of the person taking the risk too, because... I owned Jonas Valanciunas last season and he missed huge sways of the season with his injuries. So he's somebody that I've just drafted in drafts that I did today because I'm like, I need some JV. Um, Sabonis has the issue you just mentioned. So you can look at things, don't you? And you can find risk. Lots of different players have risk. There's no such thing as a sure thing anyway. Of course, some picks are safer like 
Vucevic. Um, I'm probably cursing him now. Like <laughs> Vucevic is a guy I took who seems to be just really safe, but a lot of people have risk, I guess. Um, would you agree? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think it also depends on sort of the volatility factor of your first couple round picks, right? Like if you're somebody who's going to take sort of that gamble in the first and or second round, you're probably looking for that safer, more steady contributors in rounds three through five. If you feel pretty good about your first couple of round picks, then you might be willing to take that gamble in those middle rounds because you know you're going to have that anchor or those two anchors for your team early on. For me in this draft, to use an example, I mean, I feel really good about LeBron being an anchor, right? I know there's some there is some division of, of opinion as to whether or not LeBron James should still be a first-round pick. But when you lead the, the league in assists for the first time and you're 16 years in and, you know, you, you're still looking like a cyborg on the court, I know, you know, he's not the world's best free-throw shooter, to say the least. But if that's the knock I'm going to put on LeBron, you know, so be it. So I felt pretty good about that in the first round. But then, obviously, given the job pick in the second round, it's not that I don't feel good about job, but I really wanted those middle rounds to be guys who I can, you know, really count on. So, you know, Brandon Ingram is a guy who we saw in his first year with New Orleans that he's going to be that guy. I have no qualms about him playing, even with the reshaped roster, despite the improvement from Zion Williamson. I very much think Brandon William, or Brandon Ingram excuse me, is going to be that dude. And then to get Kyrie Irving in the fourth round, right, that really allowed me to feel a lot better about how those first four rounds went overall. That great. That's a good way of looking at it. I guess uh, it sounds like you're a man who's done a lot of drafts over a long time. So let me jump in. This is where it gets really interesting now. And I'll try and throw quite a, f- a few together and you can pick what you want to talk about. So at the end of the fifth round, I took Thomas Bryant because I wanted to hit the big man stats and also the assist and he started shooting threes. I got Kelly Oubre at the beginning of the sixth. Uh, and then at the end of the seventh, I got OG Ananobi and I paired him up with Markel Fultz for his assists and steals and just, uh, well, he's got a decent field goal percentage for a guard as well. What did you think about those picks? Thomas Bryant, Kelly Oubre Jr., OG Ananobi, and Mark Fultz. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I like all of them for varying reasons, right? I really like the OG pick. He's a guy who was sort of in my sights as well. Uh, didn't work out, but I, I like him. Obviously, the Raptors like him too. Four years, $72 million extension today. I think he's a dude who's going to take that next step forward, kind of follow in that. I don't want to call him the next, you know, Pascal Siakam, obviously. Those are two very different players, two very different games. But in terms of how Toronto sort of develops their own, I think OG is a guy who can take that step forward. And I'm very, very intrigued by Thomas Bryant, right? We know Rui Hachimura is going to miss at least the first few weeks of the season. Bryant is a guy who is sort of a beast, for lack of a better word, uh, with Washington. He really sort of showed up. I'm intri- I'm intrigued by his pairing with Russell Westbrook now there and a healthy Bradley Beal. I think Thomas Bryant could easily be, you know, 15 and 10, 17 and 10, or maybe 17 and 7 with a three or two in there. We know he's athletic inside. He could block shots. So I think he's a good upside big. I, I like sort of the upside that you were able to get in those middle rounds. And, you know, Fultz is a guy who I think the, uh, the three-year $50 million extension with, with the Magics maybe surprised some people today. But he's a guy who's really been able to reclaim his career after being sort of an afterthought, which is an unbelievable thing to say about somebody who was drafted the number one uh, selection overall. But I do think there's there's value there, especially at the point guard position late with Fultz, given what he can do in Orlando and sort of the leash he should be given as a result of this new deal. Speaking of value at the point guard position late, although it's value with question marks, I got Alfred Payton at the end of the 11th. Uh, and then I was able to get PJ Washington at the beginning of the 10th. What about those two picks? One sort of buzzy with PJ and Alfred. 
uh, I just, I was way behind in assists and that jumped me from like on the projections, I was like second last or third last. And then I jumped up to like second from once I got those assists. Yeah. So, I mean, I think PJ Washington's a guy who, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to see play this year, given sort of the remake in Charlotte. I do think he's a guy who, who surprised some last year. And I do think he'll be as another solid contributor again this year. I wonder about the Knicks just in general, right? Like there isn't really a Nick after Mitchell Robinson who I'd say I feel good about drafting. Uh, Julius Randle should be a, a solid enough contributor, but I just have questions about the overarching scheme, especially with, with Tom Thibodeau. I don't know what Alfred Payton's role is going to be. I think he could be somebody who early in the season, if he plays well, you might look to parlay in like a two-for-one type of deal. Probably not a guy who I was targeting in terms of, you know, on my draft board going into it. But if you're if you're short on assists, I could see why why that pick was made. But he's also a guy who could very well, you know, bottom out early and you you think about potentially moving on from after the first, you know, seven to ten days if, if the if the production hasn't been there, or, or at least the first four or five games, depending on you know, depending upon the uh the Knicks schedule and how it plays out. I mean, that segues quite nicely into the second little topic I wanted to talk about, which is post-draft strategy. And you just mentioned one, which is looking to sell and move on from guys. Uh, sometimes that moving on means dropping people as well. What do you do to repair drafts in the first or second round? And you said before, when we were talking off air that you shouldn't be overreacting and trying to fix things before it's actually started. But what will you be doing in the first couple of weeks this season? And, and how do you improve your chances of winning early in the season? Yeah, I mean, I think we're looking for trends, right? Like playing time trends, sort of rotations, who's playing with who, where can you get the sort of advantage in, right? Because if you if there's a guy who's available on the waiver wire who, you know, is, is producing at a steady enough clip and you know he's going against a lot of second units and maybe there's sort of an off-the-court storyline, like he's playing for a contract, that's one of my favorites personally, or something like that to track, then I, I always try to take you know a potential gamble on those guys. But I think a, a mistake that a lot of people make is, is they chase their own ass on the waiver wire, right? And what I mean by that is, oh, I'm never going to win assists. Let me just grab these two guys and stream them this week, and hopefully I can push forward. But they wind up dropping guys who, who contribute to a strength, right? So not only do you dilute a strength, but you, but you add to a weakness, but you don't add enough to make a difference in that head-to-head -head matchup. So I think that's a mistake. Early in the season, what I try to do is I, I try to execute those two-for-one deals is usually a strategy that I implore. So, like, you know, if there's a guy who I drafted in the mid to late rounds who's who's overperforming or fits in need of another team and I can pair him with one of those, you know, sort of early or, or early to mid-round producers and get a net upgrade from my team in terms of talent, that's the thing I'm going to be looking for because you, you can bet that within the first few weeks of the season there's always going to be sort of those tantalizing or at least intriguing names you could potentially pluck off the waiver wire, but you go, ah, do I really want to drop this dude for him or do I really want to drop this dude for him? I don't know. Then you wind up missing out on him because you can't make a decision. So I like to give myself that sort of early season roster flexibility and, you know, bringing it back to my team for one second. You know, a guy who I drafted uh, late in this particular uh, go around was Derek White, right? So he had toe surgery. So he's not going to be ready to start the year, but after agreeing to that four-year, $73 million deal, it's pretty clear that the Spurs view him as a legitimate piece. He was really nice to finish last year, although it felt like, you know, five years ago or so at this point. So a guy like that, if you, if you draft somebody who's not going to be ready to start the season, you can also make that instant addition after the draft on a guy who you kind of thought about drafting, but you didn't want to take early. So in my case, right, like 
I put Derek, uh, Derek White on the IL, and I pick up uh, Cam Johnson and Phoenix, right? I know they're a little bit deeper on the wing this year, but I still like him as a sort of a second-year player. He's an interesting name. I want to see how it shakes out over those first, you know, four to eight games with his playing time. And, you know, if it's not there, you drop him and you move on, but it gives you a chance to sort of check up on those early season gambles if you want to look at it like that. Very, very cool indeed. Uh, it's a nice segue into something else that's very cool, which is uh, the bruise letter. Uh, we need to pause the show to do this. It's a really, really fun thing, and it's free. And everybody, don't you love free stuff? Do you love free stuff, Ethan? I love free stuff as long as it doesn't hurt me. <laughs> there you go. Well, this won't hurt you. It'll probably make your life more enjoyable. The Bruise Letter is back, and it's back and fresh for the 2021 NBA season. Our founder, Aaron Brewski, the uh, godfather we call Dan the podfather. He's the godfather. He's writing an email newsletter filled with its most intimate fantasy nuggets. Uh, you can turn the lights down real low, get yourself a glass of wine, get that romantic feeling going, and read his intimate fantasy nuggets. <laughs> they will be good, really, really uh, intimate. <laughs> Lost my train of thought there in the romance. It's exclusive content. You cannot find it anywhere else. It's not on the website. It's not in any podcast. It's not on social media. It's only in the email newsletter, and you can sign up and get it for free. Just go to bit.ly slash bruiseletter2021. That's brew as in a brew, a beer, B-R-E-W-S, bruise letter 2021, and sign up in 10 seconds flat. Again, the site is bit.ly slash bruiseletter2021. Aaron Brewski, straight to your inbox. Get into it. Do not miss out the bruise letter is is the way to go like if you're not signed up for that thing you're literally not giving yourself every potential chance at winning your league and there you go uh, from from the man himself let's talk about uh your standouts and hot names i'll just do them the order you gave them to me Taylor horton Tucker from preseason he was absolutely on fire and he's a lakers boy so it'll be good to hear from you is he worth a late round flyer? I mean, look, like, you know, I couldn't get through this whole spot without bringing up my guy, THT. Before Kuzma got his contract extended, I sat here and said on the Hoopball Lakers pod, I said it to anyone who would listen to me, look, I think there's a chance for THT to actually average more minutes than Kyle Kuzma this year. Whether or not that happens right off the bat, I couldn't tell you. But if you're looking for a late round flyer with upside, I mean, could you find a sexier name right now? I mean, the dude just turned 20 years old. He absolutely plays with confidence. He was the talk of training camp. And for a team coming off winning the title, that's certainly something to be said. And, you know, everybody was bringing him up sort of unprompted, right? It wasn't like, what do you think about THT? It was who's impressing in camp. And it was always THT. He seems to be a guy who wants to learn. He seems to be a guy who has, you know, he feels like he belongs when he's out there. You like what you see from him, but you just wonder if sort of the playing time will be there from the production standpoint, right? Because if he could, I mean, there's there's no doubt he's going to be in the rotation, but if he's only going to play 15 to 18 minutes a night, which is certainly conceivable given the level of talent on this Lakers team, you know, he's really going to have to go <clears throat> rogue, for lack of a better time, or lack of a better way to say it, when he's out there with his time in order to make the production necessary to, to really fe- like feel his fantasy value on your team. But if you're looking at the, the end of your draft and you're saying, ah, should I take, you know, sort of a crappy veteran or should I take a guy who could be more, then THT is your guy. He's not going to cost you, you know, a huge pick. You're looking at anywhere from the 13th to 15th round or even later if your draft goes that late. So I think he's a fine late-round flyer, and, and that's sort of what the ends of draft should be for, especially in redraft leagues, in my opinion, is you kind of see, and if it doesn't work out, you move on. But 
he's a guy who I'd at least be, you know, if you're going to take the gamble, you got to give him at least a couple weeks to see what it's going to be. So in, in uh, a word, would you take him before a Danny Green, for example? Great, great comparison. And yes, I would. And, um, and that's not just because I'm scarred by the Danny Green experience from last season. <laughs> I think Danny Green is scarred by the Danny Green experience as well. Um, I, I, I bet he is. Yeah, what a shame. That shot looked like – it just looked like a shot I take down at the rec centre here when I'm playing with some uh, Bogan mates out here with their headbands on. Shout out to my buddies who call me a Bogan. I am not a Bogan, <laughs> by the way. Um, not that there's anything wrong with being a Bogan. Look that word up, B-O-G-A-N, on Google, Americans, if you don't know what a Bogan is. you Have a look on the image search. You might have some fun with that. Speaking of having fun, Lamelo Ball is a man I saw play live in Sydney last season, and the crowd – was just on the edge of its seat with his amazing handles. But he is ranked 335th in the preseason. And uh, I reckon you probably know why that is. Yeah, I mean, look, he's not going to exactly light it up from the floor. You're looking at a low field goal percentage. You might be looking at some high turnovers if you're in a nine-cat league. There's nothing that he's necessarily elite at in terms of an NBA skill other than passing. So you like the assist numbers. But you're not drafting a guy to, to contribute just in one category, right? You want him to contribute sort of across the board. I like LaMelo because of the situation that he's in, and I like him because I think he can be sort of a multi-category contributor. So if you're not building your team around field goal percentage and you're okay with taking that hit, I think he's a guy who could easily average, you know, 9 to 12 points. You know, he, for a guard, he's a big dude. He's 6'7", 6'8", at the, at the point guard position. He's going to be down low getting rebounds. It's not like Charlotte has, uh, you know, Kevin Love sweeping the boards down there like, like they do in Cleveland with Love and Andre Drummond. So I, I feel like, you know, 9 to 12 points, five, 5 to 6 rebounds, 7 to 9 assists. I mean, it's, it's not a, a Russell Westbrook triple-double, but it's certainly a low-end triple-double. And, and I think he's somebody who, you know, I think he'll improve during the course of the, of the regular season, at least during the, the crux of it, right? Toward the tail end, he might get a little tired because I don't know that he's ever played this many games in such a short stretch in his life. But I think he's one of those upside guys where if he does break the right way, you're going to be looking at your team going, damn, I could have had him in the eighth round, ninth round, tenth round, and I, t- and I took this guy instead. And I, for me, I just don't want that to happen on my team. So that's why I was able to grab him in one league. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to grab him in tonight's league, but in the, uh, the, the, the other draft that I did more recently, I was able to grab him. And I'm just sort of interested to see the ride and, and what it entails. I think he's a better free throw shooter uh, than his brother. And I think he's somebody who, you know, just could be, could be an interesting little player as, as the year progresses. But that field goal percentage concern is definitely very real. Yes, if you can handle the the hit on your field goal, like if it's a nine cat where you're punting that already uh, for whatever reason, then definitely I'd be all about Lamella Ball. I have him in one league too. Let's um let's bounce through some names quite rapidly now because we uh, we're getting to that point of the show where we can speed up and we speed up with some really exciting names, including Christian Wood. Give me a few sentences on Christian Wood. Yeah, I mean, I love Christian Wood. You know, we talked about him a little bit ago. I like him as as early as the third round, uh, and I know that's kind of crazy to think about, but I like him. I, I like the 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 role. I like the fit in Houston, James Harden or not. I think he'll be active on that pick and roll. And you know, Houston's been looking for for a big who's mobile, who can rim run, who can stretch the floor a little bit for for a while now. And it seems like uh, the stars are aligned for him to have a good season. And it's not like the Rockets are certainly uh, fleshed with talent. 
Uh, I don't think DeMarcus Cousins' presence is going to be a huge threat to his production. You don't pay Christian Wood if you're not going to play him. So I, I like him, and I, and I think he could easily be a, a one type of center if you're drafting him to be your main man down low. There you go. The next name is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He is probably one of the most buzziest guys, and I was talking off air about is he the kind of guy who might end up on buy lows and sell highs this season, depending on how he starts? Absolutely, right? I mean, he's a guy who was going in the second round. He's a guy who was going as early as, you know, 14 or 15 overall, but definitely by the top 20, he's already gone. Uh, he's a guy who should have the keys to the car in OKC now that Chris Paul's wearing a Phoenix Suns jersey. Uh, you just sort of wonder how he's going to continue to adjust the NBA defenses now that he's going to be the man for every opposition to plan against every night. It's not exactly like the Thunder or uh, the most talented team on paper that we've ever seen, given all of their offseason machinations. But if you want SGA on your team, you're going to have to draft him high if you haven't already had your draft already. I do think that you know if he does uh, start slow, there will be some people who are looking to sell off at, at a uh, at a loss. But if you're if you're smart, you're you're looking to uh, you're looking to buy low, right? We always try to buy low and sell high. So I like SGA. I think he probably has you know sort of a third round floor and uh, potential high second round upside. But if you reach for him, I just don't know how much value you're going to get in return. I don't see him being a first-round guy given all the talent that's ahead of him. But it's almost comparable to the jaw pick that I had right in the second round. How much room are you leaving for him to return value? So if you believe, then you believe. Just don't expect to get a huge necessarily return on your value in terms of, oh, he's performing way better than where I drafted him. Now, the last name that you gave me was Jar Morant. Now, he's a guy that on um, in the preseason – per game was ranked 11 uh, and he was ranked 20 uh, in totals in the preseason. But more importantly, last season, he ranked 135th per game and 93 on totals. And I was talking yesterday, where do you see him being able to improve this season? Because he was a big minus on threes, a big minus on rebounds, minus on blocks, a huge minus on turnovers. His only really good categories last season were assists uh, and he was neutral on field goal percentage at three throws. Where is the improvement going that's going to make him return even as much as second round value? Yeah, so I definitely think he's more palatable in an A-cat league because of that turnover factor. But look, he's a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands. Rookie of the year, I think he takes another step forward. I think the field goal percentage will continue to be there, if not even slightly improved. Same thing from the foul line. I do expect him to take a jump from the three-point line, again, just being NBA comfortable and just having that second-year experience in him. And he's a guy who's clearly motivated to be a leader. I mean, everything that you see from him, whether it's his play, whether it's what he says, I mean, I, this is a guy who I'd be very, very content building my franchise around and I have to think the Grizzlies feel the same way I think the rebounds could go up slightly especially earlier in the season when Jer again Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to miss some time I don't think he'll necessarily ever be the strongest rebounder right he's not the biggest guy in the world but at the same time if you're telling me that Jaw could average you know even one and a half triples let alone two while shooting 48 percent from the field and 80 percent from the line averaging 20 points and you know closer to eight or nine assists a game and get the that steal number above 1.0 a game I think you're looking at an elite point guard yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if that happens. What he did in the preseason was he just had these massive assist numbers. That got him to fourth because he was his um, Z score on assist was 5.72, and he was averaging, I think, something like 10 assists a game. That's right off the charts. He got the steals and the field goal percentage. That's the one, 55%. And that's only in a four-game sample. So maybe that 48% uh, from the field is attainable. Although last season he was actually – uh, 
what was it here, 47% from the field. The thing that really kills him is that he wasn't shooting threes, uh, the turnovers, and uh, he's not a guard who gets rebounds. And if we have a look at what he did in the preseason, he still was not really hitting threes or getting rebounds. The turnovers were there. It's really just those the massive assist numbers and the steals that are um, that he improved. So it'll be interesting to see if he can return the kind of value that you've gone in for him. And maybe I will be the one regretting. What about these names? Let me throw a few quick uh, buzzy ones at you. Lonzo Ball. He was twenty two in the preseason, seventy five last season um, on a per game basis, and on totals last season. Uh, he was even better than that. He was around top 50. What do you think about Lonzo Ball? Yeah, I think Lonzo's like, like his talent is interesting. My question with Lonzo is, is the fit on this New Orleans roster because after the trade of Drew Holiday, you brought in Eric Bledsoe, then you made a trade for Steven Adams. You've still got Zion Williamson. So I, I'm kind of curious about that spacing in the first unit, especially with the Pelicans sort of saying that they're going to play Lonzo with Eric Bledsoe together. I just wonder about that playing time, uh, especially after they didn't come to an extension before the deadline. The free throw percentage is a, such a killer for me with Lonzo. So if he could figure out a way to shoot even, God, even 65%, let alone 70%, it would be, I guess, a little bit more palatable. But for where he's going to be drafted, I just feel like there are names where, where I'd rather pursue that position early and let somebody else take the chance on Lonzo. That, that's the difference between him and LaMelo is – you know, Lamelo obviously a rookie hasn't had the experience, and you know doesn't necessarily have the same uh, same pedigree in terms of what he's done in the NBA, right? Because he's a rookie. But at the same time, you know, Lamelo is considered the the most talented one, and given the price points, that's where I'm most comfortable sort of putting my balls, for lack of a better way to say it. There you go. Now, putting speaking of putting your balls in different places, you got Brandon Ingram in a draft very recently, didn't you? He was ranked 35th on a per game basis. Uh, last season and 30 on total, uh, actually, sorry, even better on totals. I think he was ranked top 25 on totals. I don't have that in front of me. Apologies. He hit that rank in the preseason in less usage. He ranked around 30th on 25.4 usage uh, as opposed to the 28 that he averaged last season. It was even higher before Zion came back. So good to see that with Zion back, he was still returning value he assists very positive, steals were positive, the three throw percentage remained up. And that was one of the huge improvements for him last season. Uh, he hit 92% of his foul shots in the preseason, uh, of course, just in a three-game sample. What do you think about Ingram? So let me tell you a little story about Brandon Ingram. I've been drafting him in the top 50 since his second year, right? So after that rookie season with the Lakers where everyone was kind of like, oh, is this guy a bust? I've been taking him top 50. Now, obviously, he hasn't returned the value with those picks, although in his last year with the Lakers, he got closer. Last year with the Pelicans, we saw why he was the centerpiece of the Anthony Davis trade, right? Not to put those two in the same sentence, but there was a reason why the Pelicans wanted him and not Kyle Kuzma. This is a guy who, with an increase in shot volume, as you alluded to, and an increase in just sort of overall attention, was actually able to improve his numbers. And the thing about Brandon Ingram that's crazy to consider Dude was born in 1997, right? He just turned 23 in September. So he is not even close to his prime yet. And what I like about him this year is is exactly what you said. The free throw percentage went way up last year, went up again in the preseason. He was almost, depending on your interpretation of the three-point line, you could say he was elite last year at 39.1%. If he could get that to 40, then we're really talking about being elite. Plus 24, 25 points a night, 
Plus, he's starting to be a little bit more active defensively. I really think Brandon Ingram takes that next step this year in his fifth year. You know, obviously, he's got the huge extension with the Pelicans now. Despite all the Zion hype, I think Brandon Ingram has a wonderful year. Would not surprise me if he finishes the year as a top 25 player. Let's finish off with some really quick hits now on a couple of guys that uh, could be very improved in um, hopefully this season. One, because they missed a lot of time with injury last season. The other one is Josh Richardson, who was awful last season in many ways. He was ranked 145th in fantasy. In the preseason, he's ranked 25th. Um, His usage is low, but he's been hitting three-pointers. His field goal percentage is up playing in the Maverick system. Uh, His shot attempts are up as well. Uh, what do we think about him? He's gone from a minus 0.37 Z score in points last season in the preseason up to 0.45. And those threes are off the charts. The field goal percentage too. Turnovers are down, playing next to Luca. Is he somebody you like in the, you know, later in drafts? And what can we expect from him? Yeah, so I, I really do like Josh Richardson and the fit in Dallas is a good one. Uh, I thought it was kind of weird how he dropped off in Philly last year. Just wasn't seemingly wasn't really a fit there like they thought he would be. Now with the Mavericks, he looks to be in a better spot. I do have do have a couple of questions about sort of you know how they're going to stack the playing time when it comes to that position, right? You still got Tim Hardaway Jr. there, so he's a possibility for minutes. And and they still got uh, they re-signed uh, Trey Burke, so you know he was a guy who kind of came out and played late in the season last year. But I do think Josh Richardson is in a good spot to, to sort of reassume a familiar role where if he averages 12 points a game, you know, four, four rebounds, a couple of assists, a couple of steals, a couple of threes, it's not exactly jumping off the charts, but for a guy you can get in the late rounds, he's a steady across-the-stat-sheet contributor. I mean, I love targeting guys like that. I, I still miss the days of, of Andre Kirilenko sort of across-the-stat-sheet, right? Shout-out to AK-47. <laughs> Beautiful. And speaking of things we love, we love Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. It offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and it's here to help you be clean downstairs in the new year, ring in the new year with the right tools for the job. You know, uh, a lot of hair downstairs is really gross, so step into the new year with a tree standing taller and shave your big boys. Manscaped is here to give you a New Year's resolution that you'll actually want to keep. The Perfect Package 3.0 is below the base, the waist grooming package. You need to start off strong in 2021. Come out of quarantine or come out of the 2020 with clean uh, balls thanks to the Lawnmower 3.0. This waterproof skin safe trimmer will reduce nicks to your two best friends. The third generation trimmer even has a light to shine uh, down there to help the promised land uh, look like 2021 looks to be as well. So it's time to freshen up. Uh, the Crop Preserver is something that helps you as well. It's an anti-chafing, ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpit, so why are you not putting it on the smelliest part of your body? And for the on-the-go freshness, you'll love the Crop Reviver Toner Spray. Start the new year fresh thanks to Manscaped. Now, remember, to bring that sexy back in 2021, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code hoopball20 at manscaped.com. That is hoopball20 at manscaped.com, 20% off. And, you know, if you're looking for a Christmas present for yourself or for a friend of yours, this is a good way to help the podcast as well because we need to support our sponsors. Two names, or actually just one name, one name to finish this off, Maxi Kleber. He was 20th in the preseason. Is he somebody that you're interested in and is, if he's on the waiver wire, do you grab him? If you picked him up in a draft, how long do you hold this guy for? 
Yeah, so Maxi's one of those guys, right? I'm actually in a league where somebody's team name is called Enter the Maxi, right? So he's clearly a Kleba believer is what I like to say. He's a guy who we've always seen sort of uh, jump forward when he's gotten the opportunity for increased playing time. We saw it a little bit when Dwight Powell went out last season for the Mavericks, and now I think we're going to see it again with Porzingis obviously not quite ready to start the year after his uh, offseason knee procedure once again. So I think Kleber is one of those guys who, you know, you always your eyes sort of jump out of your head, right? When you see a big man who can block shots, who can hit threes, who's not going to be a liability to your team, especially one that doesn't come at a, at a premium price. So I like him to start the year. I don't know that I'm attached to him throughout the year. I think he's one of those guys who if he has a good first couple of weeks, I might be looking to do uh, and package in one of those two-for-one trades that I referenced earlier. But I do think he's, he's a solid sort of, uh, late round draft pick if you're looking to round out your team for some guys who could have a potentially hot start there. Well, thanks very much for sharing those uh, names, Ethan, and showing sharing your insight over many years of fantasy and writing about fantasy and writing about the NBA. Uh, that was really amazing. Before I let you go, it would be remiss of me not to ask about opening night. What are the big storylines? What are you looking for? Obviously, the Nets are playing, the Lakers are playing, the Clips are playing. Uh, a lot of excitement there. What stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the return of Kevin Durant, right? Like, that's going to be a, a huge storyline. You know, obviously, we saw KD a little bit in the preseason, but now the lights are on and the show's starting, and we want to see what he looks like. The KD-Kyrie pairing, the the revamp Nets. We want to see Steph Curry back in action, of course, and what the Warriors will look like. My hot take, I don't know that it's that hot, to be honest with you. Warriors don't make the playoffs this year. Sorry, I think this is the year that, you know, Steph, as good as he is, sort of uh, – we get reminded why LeBron on any team is a title contender and, and why that's such a prestigious sort of title. And I think for the Lakers and Clippers, you're looking at, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of juice do the Clippers come out and play with after sort of an embarrassing end to their season. And, you know, with this revamped Lakers team, I, I'm personally as a Lakers fan, I'm very interested to see what the rotations look like, right? We talked about the THT sort of injection into the lineup. How does Kuzma fit, right? How many minutes does Trez play? Marcus All in the starting five. And if Anthony Davis is really going to take five threes every night and he's going to make them at, you know, a pretty respectable clip, then I think there might be a bigger question as to why he didn't go first overall in just about any draft. Well, there you go. I am very excited as well because I've got – I think I've got four Kyrie Irvings and I've got two Kevin Durants across uh, my league. So I'm going to be uh, – it's going to be very exciting to watch that. Uh, once again, thank you very much. Will you come back again, Ethan? Oh, anytime. My pleasure. And, and for whatever reason, you know, talking fantasy hoops with somebody who has that very royal Australian accent, it just makes it so much more enjoyable. <laughs> oh, thanks. And, of course, the good thing is because you're on uh, Pacific – time you're going to be able to join me and actually do box score of course with the east coast guests we usually do a, an interview beforehand and then scotty and i or, or one of us do the box score but with the, the pst or the west coasters like yourself we'll be able to actually do box score that will be amazing it'll be my pleasure my man well, thank you very much. That is the end of the Box Score Breakdown show for Monday the 21st. And of course, on our next show, we'll actually be breaking down real uh, NBA box scores as well as talking to the man I called the, the godfather to Dan Bespris's podfather. He is Aaron Bruski. He will be joining us on the show for the next episode. That is going to be lit, as they say in basketball circles, uh, lit as anything can be. Join me for that. Until then, we say goodbye and enjoy the last sleep or enjoy the last meal before we get to the NBA. Let's get ready to rumble, guys. Let's do it.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.